church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. Buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you after a, a couple of weeks off. I was traveling up in New Hampshire, giving a talk at the Catholic Men's Conference in Exeter there at St. Michael's Parish. Really had a good time. Thoroughly enjoyed hanging out with the guys and, and sharing a little bit of my testimony. But also, I focused the talk on, on what men can do. How can they fight the culture war? How can they fight pornography in particular. I'm praying that I can recover that talk. It was recorded, but we're having some some technical issues there. I'm hoping I can recover it and post it on the website, put it out on a CD uh, or what have you. I do have a, a CD set on the issue of pornography available. You can stop by the website. Along with uh, that, you can pick up the, uh, the link to the intro song, which was Save Me, from last day. You can find all that at www.catholichack.com. That's all one word, catholichack.com. Well, today we're going to be discussing the Bride of the Lamb. I was inspired by this past Sunday's readings, especially the second reading from the book of the uh, the book of the Apocalypse or the book of the Vision or Revelation of John. Uh, specifically, it's John chapter 21, the Bride of the Lamb, the New Jerusalem come down from heaven. So that's what we're going to be discussing today. But as always, let's start off with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory and praise to you, Almighty God. We come before you. We come before you to praise your holy name. And I give this show over to you, dear Father, and I pray to send forth your Spirit and just take possession that we might be recreated, that we might 
refresh in your Holy Spirit and the fountain of life, that we might come together to the new Jerusalem, to the new Mount Zion, to the Holy of Holies, where your presence is there perpetually for all eternity with men. We ask to be united with you. We, your spouse, take possession of us. Look past our iniquity and bestow your grace. We wish to be intimate with you, dear Father. And we hope that you'll inspire us today by reading your word and diving deep into your truth and your revelation. We ask the intercession of our Blessed Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, this week I'm going to be sharing a lot of what I picked up from Dr. John Bergsma. He's a professor at, at Steubenville in Ohio, and uh, he's also a fellow of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. That's Dr. Hahn's institution and foundation. And they did a whole series of talks based on the splendor of the church. Well, Dr. Bergsma did a three-part series on the Gospel of John, and where he talked about the priesthood and the temple and, and other elements but when he focused on the temple, I was particularly interested. I'm going to post a link to that talk on my website this week at catholichack.com so you can actually learn from somebody who's far more qualified and, and far better at this than I am. But I'm going to be sharing a lot of thoughts that I picked up off of that as they relate to this past Sunday's readings, in particular to the the second reading or the the revelation of John in chapter 21. Now, in John 21, he talks about, he says, quote, When I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. He even says in verse 5 of Revelation 21, quote, And he who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I love that. I make all things new. That reminds me of, of the Passion of the Christ, that movie, uh, Mel Gibson's rendering of the Passion of Our Lord, and in that scene where he's carrying his cross and he falls like a second or a third time, and and his mother comes running up to to lift him up because she, you know, in her in her motherly uh, instinct, wants to help her young boy, her little boy who's fallen and scraped his knees. You know, she had that like that sort of that remembrance of when he was a child and fell. And so she's running to her son and her son who's wearing the crown of thorns and is scarred and bloodied and is trying to lift up this cross says, mother, I make all things new. And he was just so intent and focused. He was marching on Calvary. He was not going to be dragged there. No, he is going to, to restore communion with God. You see, this is this is actually quite related, but uh, I get so excited about this material because it's so deep and profound. Now I want to skip forward to verse 9 of Revelation 21. It says, quote, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, 
I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now, that's awesome. Right away, we have this sense of intimacy on a very common level, a very emotional level that we can relate to every single one of us, man or woman. I just finished reading or uh, a project where I was narrating The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. It's a medieval work of spirituality in a monastic setting. And in the fourth book of that series on uh, Imitation of Christ, Thomas Akempis talks about his soul being feminine which as a man gives us uh, the ability to relate to Jesus, the lamb, as our spouse, to be that bride. Otherwise, it's kind of a tricky thing for us to overcome that concept of, okay, I'm the bride of the spouse, bride of the lamb. You know, he's the bridegroom, I'm the bride. Well, that's, as a man, that's just hard to overcome. But if we understand, as Thomas Akempis does, how our soul has this effeminate quality to receive our Lord, you know, that is a beautiful thing. I, women, this comes very easy for women. For men, it's a little more challenging, but it's very deep and profound. And here in Revelation 21 9, we see how the bride is linked to this new Jerusalem, as he says a few verses earlier, that's come down from heaven. He goes on to say in verse 10 there, And in the Spirit he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had great high wall with twelve gates, at the gates, twelve angels, and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the, on the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked to me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its breadth, and he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and breadth and height are equal. That makes a perfect cube. So there's a lot of great symbology going on here. Twelve gates, okay? Each of them ascribed with the twelve names of the tribes of Israel. This is the people set apart by God. And then on them, the foundations, 12 foundations. Think about the foundation. You know, Christ says in Matthew 16 that he he will build his church upon the rock of St. Peter. Okay, that's that that foundation that Christ makes upon the rock, St. Peter himself. And so these 12 foundations are the apostles. So that fits that very perfectly, that image of, of Christ building his church upon these the foundation of these men. These are his apostles. They are ministers in his kingly court. And we see that. But more specifically, we are told that, that it's measured with this measuring rod, this rod of authority, you know. It's measured and it's found to be a perfect cube. 12,000 stadia, which roughly amounts to about 1,500 miles. That's huge, absolutely huge. So it's a perfect cube, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, and 1,500 miles tall. Now, that is very significant. But before I, I explain why, let's just go on a little bit here. In verse 17, he says, quote, He also measured its wall, 140 
four cubits by a man's measure, that is, an angel's, a hundred and forty-four cubits. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Now this is a very beautiful image, this pure gold you know, structure, a perfect cube in dimension, its wall, 200 feet thick, or 144 cubits. Now, 144 and 12,000, both of those numbers mentioned here, 12,000 stadia, the, the dimensions overall, and the wall thickness of 144 cubits, both are divisible by 12, having 12 gates and 12 foundations, 12 angels, 12 names of the 12 tribes of Israel, and 12 names of the 12 apostles. How important do you think this number 12 is here that we're, that we're being given? The number 12, it's very significant. Christ came and he, at every stage in the, in the story of salvation history, starting from Adam and Eve as the first couple, moving to Noah as the first family, moving to Abraham as the first tribe, and Moses as the first nation, and David as the first kingdom, to our Lord Jesus Christ, taking it to all the world. At every stage in the process, he is opening his net wider and wider, reconciling, reconciling rather, man to God. This is sort of also kind of what's going on here and showing us how this perfect building, massive in dimension and absolutely strong and fortified and solid in size and, and structure, you know, and it's beautifully and ornately uh, adorned, pure gold. All the finest of jewels, the gates made of a single piece of pearl, monstrous in size. Okay, this is all very specific language, and it, it recalls other parts of Scripture that can give us a little more insight into what's going on here. But let me just recap some of the major things that are going on here in Revelation 21. You see the bride of Christ being spoken of. This is the, the wedding feast of the Lamb that we're gearing up for here in the book of Revelation. And here is the bride being brought to the Lamb, being brought down, you know, presented, spotless and without blemish. This is also the place where is the throne of God, where God himself sits. It's, a great, it's on a great and a, a high mountain, the rock. Okay, very important. The holy city, Jerusalem. This was where God dwelt, where his name was made present before all the people. Okay, there in the temple, in the, in the, in the, the tabernacle that was brought there. And God having his glory, you know, radiates all to all the inhabitants of this new city that's being brought down. It is God who possesses this, this structure. It is God whose radiance shines forth. It is His light that shines, and no other sun or moon or stars. It is His radiance that brings light and illumination to the darkness. 
Now, the, the presence of all these rare jewels, the jasper and the crystal, these are very specific, but they're, they're absolutely there. The gold as well. High walls, 12 gates, 12 foundations, 12 tribes, 12 apostles. The measuring rod, it also of gold. A, it's a perfect cube, as we said. It's made of pure gold. Again, every jewel, 12 jewels in particular, gates made of pearl, streets of glass. And notice there's no temple. If we read the rest of uh, this 20, uh, 21st chapter of Revelation, there's no temple, only this structure, because God himself is present to all. God is the temple. God is that light for illumination. The lamp, it says, is the lamb himself. And if we read towards the end of the uh, the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, it says in verse 27, quote, But nothing unclean shall enter it, nor anyone who practices abominations or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, notice, you know, the only qualifying factor there are those written in the Lamb's book of life, but it's specifically those who practice abominations or falsehood do not enter this new Jerusalem, this new heaven, this heaven come down, you know, from God himself, this bride adorned and prepared, spotless and without blemish, being brought to this lamb's supper, this wedding feast to be joined and, and united with her spouse, the bridegroom. So it's very important for for all of us to come to understand how important that is in our own lives. That when we practice abominations and falsehoods, when we lie, we cheat, we steal, we murder, we we idolize anything but God, we slander others, we create lustful abominations within our own hearts, let alone with other persons, we cut ourselves off from the new Jerusalem, from the bride that will be married and joined with her spouse, the Lamb, at the wedding feast of the Lamb. So we must partake of the sacraments that Jesus died to establish, to bring to us through his death and his resurrection, that we can be reconciled through the sacrament of penance, through the person of the priest whom God has sent and called, trained and formed and ordained to sit there, to hear your confession, to take away from you your sins and to absolve you because Jesus commands it so. And then through the sacrament of the Eucharist to receive life from the tree of life, the fruit of the womb that brought forth life, our Lord Jesus Christ nailed to a tree who has given us, given us his body and his blood that we might receive it on our tongue and we, he, we might be filled full of life that he might raise us up on the last day. You see, it's the sacraments that are the remedy to a sinful, concupiscent-filled world. And so we must turn to him if we are to have a share in him and partake in him that we might also be joined to our spouse, the Lamb of God. Now, what's beautiful is a couple of images here. If you go back and read Ezekiel's um prophecies here, uh, specifically in Ezekiel 40 through 48, the chapters 40 through 48, you're going to see very similar uh, things going on in from Ezekiel's vision to John's vision, vision of Revelation. They're very, very similar. For instance, in Ezekiel 40, you see Ezekiel being taken by the Spirit of the Lord, and he's placed on a on a rock or a high mountain. 
and he sees he encounters a man who whose appearance is like bronze and he has a measuring reed and he measures he goes about measuring this this vision of this heavenly temple it's very similar to what john has in his vision in the book of revelation and also in ezekiel 48 you see the the 12 gates and the 12 tribes also in Ezekiel 41, you see the Holy of Holies being measured. So go back and read Ezekiel 40 through 48, and you'll get a deeper, interesting uh, outlook on this heavenly temple. It's also extremely detailed, so you're going to have to you know, take your time getting through it because some of it is kind of hard, for, especially for a knuckle-dragger like me, to kind of get through. The, the very precise detail that's mentioned there is quite amazing. Now, but I'd like to spend just a couple of minutes going backwards, actually, back all the way to the beginning. If we're going to get a fuller picture of what this this image of John in Revelation 21 is really all about, we've got to start in the or the book of Genesis, rather, uh, the first few chapters of the book of Genesis with Adam in Genesis 2 and 3 specifically. You see, in Genesis 2, we are told that, that man was placed by God on the primordial rock because in Genesis 1, God made the waters to recede and land started to appear. And there you have that primordial rock where life begins. There, Adam is placed in a garden. And he's given dominion over all the created order there. He's even asked and tasked to name all the creatures. That's when we discover that God says, you know, it's not good for Adam to be alone. And he places Adam in a deep sleep and takes from his side a rib and fashions the woman. And then when he arouses, God brings the woman to Adam. And then there's this covenant language of the two becoming one. And Adam says, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You know, this is covenantal language. The two are becoming one. They're exchanging themselves as persons, one to the other, to create a family bond or a covenant relationship that is witnessed by God with blessings and curses. It's very important. We've talked about this to some extent in our study of The Father Who Keeps His Promises by Dr. Scott Hahn, which I promise we are going to be getting back to very soon, but we've just had too much very meaty material to talk about during the season of Easter here. But you see this this kingly language of Adam being given dominion over the created order, and his bride is made from his side and then brought to him, but from his side. It's very intimate the, the, that it comes from the man, the the two are designed to be one, to be united together, where you can almost not even tell where one stops and the other begins. You know, this is the intent, you know, that we see, but that the bride is brought to the man. Similarly, we see in Revelation 21 how the bride is being brought down, coming down from out of heaven by the father and, and being brought to the lamb to be joined, that the two, that they will create that new covenant, that new one ship, the two become one. We see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 there. Now, uh, also, Adam is given a very a specific role there in the garden sanctuary, because as we said on this show before, it is displayed that Garden of Eden as is sort of depicted as the Holy of Holies, a sanctuary. All of cosmic creation is a temple, and the garden is its inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, and there. Adam is told he must keep and protect it, you know, and this has a sort of a twofold role. It's a priestly role and it's a, it's a husbandly role. 
He's working it. He's protecting it. He's keeping it. He's guarding it like priests do, like gardeners do. He's got all of those roles. Now, again, he's given his bride. His bride is brought to him. He has communion with God because God walks with him. You know, in the cool of the day, as we read in Genesis chapter 3, it didn't require sacrifice to commune with God at that time. God was there present in this garden sanctuary. And Adam and Eve had access to God directly. Mankind had access to God. Now that would change because we know that the fall of man comes, you know, through their disobedience, eating the fruit, being beguiled by Satan, and they are expelled from the garden sanctuary. No longer will they have communion direct with God. Now the cherubim with his fiery sword blocks the entrance and prevents Adam and Eve from coming back and eating of the fruit of the tree of life, lest that they live perpetually within their sinfulness. But God has mercy on them, even though they they sinned. He gives them clothes and and takes them off. And then now they have to work. Now, Adam works and toil and sweat and and Eve bears children in pain, you know. And so we see all this. Now, let's fast forward a little bit. We skip forward to 1 Kings chapter 6, where King Solomon is building his temple, the temple that his father David wanted to build, but because of David's sin with Bathsheba and killing Uriah and his warlike nature, God would not allow it. God, uh, you know, allowed David to establish a house with a perpetual line of which Jesus would come from, but it would be his son Solomon that would build the holy house for God there in the city of Jerusalem. And so we see in, in, in 1 Kings chapter 6, this description of how Solomon is doing it. And by the way, there are awesome parallels between uh, 1 Kings and the creation narrative in Genesis 1. You know, Solomon goes out of his way to give these, these parallels. It also parallels with the narrative of Moses receiving the word of the Lord and building the tabernacle in the wilderness. They're all very, very similar. The parallels are striking because to the ancient Israelite, the temple was the Garden of Eden. And so we see things like wrapped in pure gold and stones, all the precious stones and jewels were there. The cherubs were on the wall and there's flora and fauna. You know, this this garden motif was everywhere in the in the temple. And you can read this in First Kings and you can read chapter 6 and you'll get a better description of that. But in particular, I want to focus on the Holy of Holies because there in First Kings 6.20, in verse 20 there, we read that the Holy of Holies has a, a very specific measurement. It's 30 by 30 by 30 feet or 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits. The Holy of Holies. This is the place where God's Ark would be placed. This place is so holy that nobody can enter it, okay, except for one man, the high priest. And he can only enter it only one time a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, after only which he offered up a bull sacrifice for his own sins. Why a bull? Because Aaron, who who disobeyed and, and fashioned a golden calf or a golden bull so that the people of Israel in the wilderness at Mount Sinai would worship it, this is sort of that uh, that 
Every every year, Aaron, or the descendants of Aaron, you're going to show me that you choose me over that golden calf. And so every year, the high priest had to offer up a bull for his own sins. Then he would go into the Holy of Holies one time a year. He had a rope tied around his waist just in case he wasn't quite holy enough and he fell over and died. They could pull him out without ever having to enter themselves. And then he would offer sacrifice for the sins of the people one time a year. But now... Things have changed. This Holy of Holies, this perfect cube, is the image in Revelation 21 come down from heaven. The bride of Christ is also a perfect cube. That's very specific. Also wrapped in gold. Also adorned with all the finest of jewels. This is the image that even St. Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 3 to speak of purgatory. How we start out at the altar with the, the fire and the wood and the straw, but we work our way into the temple, into that most holy place, the inner sanctuary where God's presence is there. There is where we find purity and perfection, to be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. Now, the, the veil Okay, it blocked the way for everybody else to look into the Holy of Holies. But now, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 15 51, we read, Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks were split. This is now the Holy of Holies revealed to man. And in Hebrews 12, we are told, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What's the point? The point is the bride is the Holy of Holies. It is the most intimate, most personal part of God's presence. And that's us. We are now a part of the Holy of Holies, the bride of the Lamb, united to our bridegroom. The two become one, and no man can separate what God has put together. Until next time, may God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground. Underground.